Are you a sex worker looking to build a new website or a website redesign? Then you'll want to consider Fox Digital. They did a fantastic job designing my website, Stripped by Sia. If you want your website done, mention that you're a listener of the show at foxdigital.design for 20% off. Tell them I sent you. AKA Kimchi on stage. I just wrapped up a really fun but dead week at the club, but ended on a strong finish. I'm super stoked. I finally got my my freaking bucket of money at the end of one of my shows. So crossing that off the list. I'm a real stripper now. Yay. <laughs> Catch me um, at Shaker Show Lounge. I usually bounce between there and Penthouse. Um, if you are in the Vancouver, Canada area, I usually am bouncing between those clubs. Taking a break for February back in the club first week of March if you want to come chat. Um, I, and shout out to Rye who came out and talked to me about the podcast and chat about that. I love when people come by and do that. So feel free to say hello. Um, tip and buy dances from all the girls. They are amazing. Um, other than my work as a spicy dancer, I'm also a digital content creator, um, former sugar baby, and host of the show for the past three-ish years, which has been really exciting. Um, if you are brand new here, this show is all about destigmatizing sex work and the sex industry. So I do that by bringing different folks onto the show every single week whether they are talent, so if they're a performer, if they're in front of the camera, if they're a creator, if they're behind the scenes, like a producer, if they work in corporate, um, if they're from a nonprofit organization that benefits sex workers, I really try to bring a a diverse um, group of people onto the show every single week to really paint um, a transparent approach to like exactly what it is we do. I'm not hiding anything here. I say the good, the bad, the ugly, because I know that like a lot of people usually listen to the show um, because they want to get into sex work or they have questions or are just very curious and want to have a better firm understanding about the work it is we do, the, the struggles we also go through and all of that. So that's kind of what the show is all about. And uh, this week is no different. I will be announcing who I am bringing on very, very shortly once we get through all this um, standard stuff that we have to go through. So feel free to fast forward to five minutes if you need. Um, (laughs) Would like to just quickly say hello to all of the wonderful Patreon subscribers. Um, if you didn't know, I do have Patreon. It's patreon.com slash stripped by Sia. Uh, just because I had a lot of people asking, how can I help support the show? Um, can I send you money for a donation, etc.?" And after doing that for a while with like PayPal and stuff, and I was like, I should probably get started on this Patreon thing. So I've been doing that for the last year. Um, you can get some exclusive video content on there. You could Got some behind-the-scenes footage. I have a bonus episode that's coming out um, that would have been out already by the time this is airing. 
which is not found anywhere else. Um, and it's just a really fun way to connect with other listeners of the show as well. So um, for as low as a price of a coffee, a really plain $4 coffee, you can definitely help su- uh, support the show. And that usually just helps kind of like cover the website costs and like hosting fees and stuff like that and other random little things that I do. Um, I just want to say hello to the people that are on the top tier of the show, of the show, of the Patreon uh, subscription there. So just wanted to say a quick hello to Snoo Snoo all the way from Germany. We've got Arup Sarkar and Jay Sunsern here um, in British Columbia, Canada, where I'm from. Uh, not too far away, but we have Justin Erickson from Vancouver, Washington, as well as Ted McGuire. And we have Marty Lang and as and Trey Lanti, who are brand new. So hello, and thank you so much for your support. I super appreciate you. Thank you, thank you. Be sure to check it out. It's Stripped by Sia um, on Patreon, okay? And last couple things here, skyhawkafterdarktv.com. It is an adult network of adult-related video casts and podcasts, um, including some people I've even had on the show. A lot of people I know have other podcasts and other adult-related in, or industry-related type um, shows that are on there as well. So be sure to check them out in case you're, you're interested in hearing more content like this. It's skyhawkafterdarktv.com. And last but not least, I uh, just want to say hello. And also, if you're interested in getting a website done like what I did for mine, um, be sure to check out Fox Digital. They designed my website. And for Stripped by Sia listeners, you can get 20% off uh, building a new website uh, for you. So be sure to check it out. It's foxdigital.design. And uh, ask Anthony about um, the discount as well. Tell him I sent you and he'll hook you up. All right. Five minutes and four seconds in. I'm getting a little bit over there. But um, as mentioned, I do bring on really cool, rad guests onto the show uh, every single week, including this week. And I'm, I've been really, really excited to bring this particular guest on the show for a while just because I've been kind of like watching them and like um, started following them on Twitter and just amazed at the amazing things that they do for our community. So I am going to try to list all of the things that this fabulous person does so this person i'm, just, I'm literally going to read this out because it's just <laughs> it's a lot of amazing accomplishments here so i am bringing on crystal pen onto the show if you don't know or are not familiar with who crystal is and of course please crystal correct me if i'm ever wrong i'm just literally trying to listen all the things that I found online. (laughs) 13 plus years in the industry, uh, the creative and editorial director of Groovy. Also has a boutique marketing PR and wellness firm called Ikigai Marketing. Executive producer of the Transgender Erotic Awards, happening next month in Hollywood, by the way. Two-time Expos Industry Exec Award. Also runs a sad but rad club on TikTok, and I feel like there are definitely more, but I just didn't have more space in my notes section. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have to click on it, and I would have had to scroll down more. But um, I think those are all related to what we're going to be talking about today anyways. So just want to give a warm welcome to Crystal Penn onto the show this week. Hello. Well, I sounded very, very, very busy. <laughs> Very, very, very busy, but like accomplished all the things. Also, overachieving Asian like myself. 
Yes. This is why we get along. You feel me? <laughs> yes, definitely feel you. Um, gosh, am I missing anything? I just feel like there were more things, lots of other accomplishments and milestones and things that you've done. I feel like that summarizes it all. I, honestly, I'm sure there's others, but I mean, I have ADHD. I'm not going to remember. <laughs> Well, it is so lovely to have you on the show. Um, Today, we're going to be speaking about all the things. We're speaking about mental wellness and positivity. We're speaking about spilling some spicy tea in regards to some awards shows here in the adult industry. We're talking about what uh, trans performers needs, wants, struggles that they go through. And lots more other things too. But again, it's just, we're going to try to squeeze everything within the hour. I don't know how it's going to happen, but um, should make for a great episode today for sure. But I mean, I'd love to throw it back to you because I really always like to give the opportunity to all my guests to define and use their own words in terms of how they see themselves. So feel free to go ahead. <laughs> Before I do that, I did want to thank you for having me on your podcast. I've been fangirling, well, not so subtly <laughs> for a little bit. I don't know how I found you randomly. Maybe it was through Spencer Bradley's um, tweet when you were, when they were on the show. And so then I listened to that and then I did a deep dive into the other episodes. And then um, Vanessa from Streaming was on, who's another friend of mine. And I love the the space that you've created to tell people's stories. I think it's so wonderful. And I think it does mountains for destigmatizing the industry. So I just, I feel very honored to be in such great company. Oh my gosh. Thank you. I, yeah. Wow. I'm very, that I'm bleh, that's speechless. <laughs> Thank you. And yeah, those were really, really great episodes, um, both with Spencer and also Vanessa, who's also super, really, really cool and just provide a different perspective on the industry as well. But I mean, it's, I'm just super excited to talk about all the things that we are going to talk about today, but Sorry, I just, I like feel like I cut you off. You didn't even get a chance to speak about yourself. Please speak about yourself. No, no, no. <laughs> I wanted to make sure that I thanked you at the, at the beginning because I knew I was going to forget later than have anxiety about it like five years from now. So I was like, have to say it before I forget. <laughs> so that was on me, but thank you. Um, yeah, so I'm Crystal. I'm, I'm Japanese American, queer, masculine, presenting a little anxious, depressed weirdo from Hawaii. <laughs> But that's probably the only way that I can describe myself. And yeah, I've been in the industry for 13, 13 plus years, and I suffer from being a compulsive overachiever. And so it has caused me to want to do many, many things all the time. And that's just kind of the route that I've taken. So yeah, yeah. and also excel in all of the things that you've done and cultivated as well. Yeah, I've been I've been very fortunate, you know, and I think um the adult industry has been particularly interesting because before that, when I would navigate job spaces, like I would have a lot of stress about my identity. Mm-hmm. And clearly, I mean, your listeners can't see, but like your Patreon folks will see, like, I look really, really queer. <laughs> you know what I mean? I can't really hide how I look, but I used to have this stress that I would have jobs and that like it would people would find out. I don't know how I thought they were going to find out other than looking at my face, but there was stress around being my most authentic self. Mm -hmm. And so being in the adult industry has provided a place where I've been able to navigate my identity confidently. And I think doing so has given me the confidence to then navigate my identity 
working in the industry and like non-industry specific places like TikTok as an example. So it's been a very interesting journey. Yeah. And we're definitely going to like learn about your journey too as well in terms of like how you got started. I mean, like maybe that's a great place for us to start in terms of like, okay, rewinding it back to 13 years ago. Like how did this all even come to be? (laughs) 13 years ago, I was having existential dread. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, I was having existential dread. And I was in college on the East Coast getting my degree in religion. Not because I'm religious. I am not. (laughs) But because um, I was having a lot of anxiety as a teenager that I was going to go to hell for being gay. Because everybody used to say that because it was like the 90s. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, no, I'm going to go to hell. And so in college, I decided to study religion. And it ended up just being very interesting because... Studying religion in in an academic setting is the study of culture and literature and just sort of a lot of um, critical thinking is involved. And so, first of all, I'm not stressed about about hell anymore. (laughs) And so, you know, I was I was finishing up my degree and I came back home to Hawaii, which is where I'm from. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I was like, I'm going to write the great American novel. That didn't happen. (laughs) And I was taking pictures at the local newspaper and doing nightlife events, taking photos. And didn't know what I was going to do. And what happened was the the uh, the partner of the person who was running one of the parties that I used to attend, uh, she's our accountant. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, are you looking for a job? And I was like, well, I am actually. And she's like, well, can you do Photoshop? And I was like, yeah, I can do Photoshop. And she's like, well, it's for porn. Oh. And I was, like, I was like, all right, cool, whatever. And she's like, she's like, well, it's trans porn. And I'm like, okay, all right, sure, whatever. And so I actually started at Groovy as a photo retoucher. Oh. I was terrible. I was so, I was, I was terrible. And so like my first day I spent, I probably more than eight hours because this is how slow I was, but my task was to Photoshop, uh, like Photoshop buttholes for like our, one of our sites. <laughs> like you have to Photoshop out like toilet paper and stuff oh like my that. Gosh. And, and, and I'm okay at Photoshop. I'm not like the level that is probably required to be doing that type of work. And so there were definitely buttholes that were like only one color because I screwed up. (laughs) So if you like consumed our content for that one day, that was my fault (laughs) just for this one site. But so anyway, I started doing that. And then my boss figured out that my, my skill sets actually in writing, I enjoy writing quite a bit. I enjoy creative thinking. And so he took me off that task thankfully. And he started, I started doing like blogs for us because affiliate blogging was really big back then. I would do some of the website text and I just, it was really interesting to me. It was different than the Photoshop, which I was not, I was not great at. And, you know, at the time I, I wanted to learn. It was just such a fascinating like industry for me. And so I went back to school at a certain point and I got like a marketing certificate and I, I basically worked my way up in a, in a way that there was not, there wasn't a position for me in, in terms of what I do now. I just sort of made it. And I basically have fought along the way to create a position that feels, I think, congruent to who I am and what I want to do. And I've been very fortunate that my boss has created space in that way because I, you know, my, and I, and I will say this, and this is, you know, if he hears this podcast for whatever reason, it's not going to be a surprise for him, but like, I know I work in the business part of the the industry. My goal is not to make money. That's not my first goal <laughs> for, for, for better or worse, you know? And so my, my focus has really been on sort of like community outreach or how the, the public perceives our company, you know, what is our responsibility as a company um, for our community who we profit from, mm-hmm. 
you know, and then what is the kind of outreach that we can do to help support the community and make that stuff more sustainable. So I've been very fortunate to sort of, I think, carve out a position for myself that feels like congruent to who I am. Mm -hmm. But I know it's kind of, I mean, I took a non-traditional route, so therefore it makes sense I have a non-traditional role. <laughs> and for those who are listening and that might not know what Groovy is, can you explain what Groovy is? Groovy.com? Yes. So Groovy is the longest running and probably one of the largest trans erotica producers. We've been in business for 26 years. We own and operate over, I think, 30 different membership sites, and we produce generally about four DVDs per month. Um, we are also the ones that host the Trans Erotica Awards, which is now in its 15th right, year. Right, right. And we'll be definitely talking about that as well. So, okay. So interesting, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Into the industry for sure. And I mean, yes, working up, working your way up the ladder is, is one thing. And especially it, it's hard when you're trying to navigate when you are not sure where you're going to go. And when and if that position is even going to materialize because that position doesn't even exist. <laughs> yes. There's no blueprint. No, no. And it's not as like linear as other, other career um, pathways. Like for example, like, you know, if you're going to, uh, if you're going to go into nursing, it's just like, okay, you do all the things, you go to school, you do um, whatever is, equivalent to articling I can't even think about what that is even right now the work experience and stuff like that and then um then you're like okay I've graduated I'm I'm a full-fledged nurse um but in the creative kind of sphere it can be a little bit trickier and muddier and (laughs) yeah and I'm sure you definitely had your fair share of challenges uh trying to navigate and just float and and <laughs> tread water in yes yeah can you tell us about a little bit some about some of the challenges that you had yeah you know I think there's there's two places of challenges there's challenges in the the outside world or outside of the company and the truth is that when I started and, and back in the day we were actually our office was in Hawaii oh. like we were like we were like a business office. oh my gosh <laughs> Anyway, so so it's kind of it's kind of interesting thinking of us now being in LA, which is like the porn like mecca. But like back then we were in Hawaii, and you know at the time it, there was there was still a lot of stigma around trans porn. You know, like what my boss will remember, what the owner, the company owner will remember is like, you know, going to shows and people being kind of shitty. You know what I mean? They would be you know they would be transphobic yeah. and they would say pretty offensive things. And like um, even when I started going to the shows back in. 20 maybe 2015 or so you know once folks would find out what company I worked for you know it was like they didn't want to really interact or they were kind of dismissive or they were just you know uh, kind of rude and so it has really taken time for us to be where we are positioned in our industry where I think we get the level of respect that we get and a lot of it has to do with the fact that like both myself and the company owner Stephen Groovy like he's one he's like very outspoken and we're just very very proactive in the community in terms of like the adult business sphere and so it's like mm. you know it's an opportunity for folks to get to know us in a different way and I think that is also paralleled <clears throat> because I mean porn doesn't operate or doesn't exist in a vacuum and so like the trends or the social trends that we see in the outside world tend to parallel what we see socially in porn so mm. like like wider LGBTQ acceptance 
right? It kind of parallels what we see in the industry in terms of like dynamics. And I think specifically for trans acceptance and to see, I think, more diversity and inclusion, it parallels what we see sort of in mainstream world. And so it's gotten easier, but it certainly didn't start that way. It did, it did in my opinion, really feel like we were on the outside and that there was a lot of stigma. And I think at a certain point, there's been a little bit of a pivoting where non-trans specific companies are seeing that trans porn is, can be very you know, um, lucrative. Mm. And so people are, are trying to be more inclusive in that way because it's profitable or because it's the right thing. But um, it definitely wasn't always that way. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it has been interesting to see people that, in my opinion, were not super nice to me 13 years ago when I first started, right? Like interacting with me now being much, much nicer without, I think, naming or speaking to the fact that they were not so nice 13 years ago. Totally. And 13 years ago, that was like, what, 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 what's my math? That was like, what? Like 2000, I think, well, 2000. 2000. Eight or seven, yeah, or something like back that. in the day, and then and also mm-hmm. Groovy's been around since like I think not mid nineties. Yeah, yeah. So that was definitely a very very different time in the industry as well. Fast forwarding to now, it's twenty twenty three. Are you still seeing some stigma with <laughs> your smile? <laughs> we're gonna get into some spiciness but yeah I I would really love to see like because you've been in the industry for so long like how like you've seen some transformation um but still there's some underlying maybe elements that are still there that are exclusive towards the trans community and I'd love to kind of like dip my toes to hear more about that because it's something that I really haven't talk too much on the show about so really would love to learn from you it is you know I, I want to preface this part by saying that it's getting better and that I, I I understand that these things take time um I I think what I'm seeing is less aggressive and open transphobia when it comes to sort of like the inclusion or exclusion of trans community or even just LGBTQ performers as a whole. But, 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 um, something that I see, which is, and this is just my opinion and, and and something that I've been sort of processing for the last, I think month and a half. Um, I think that there is something that there's a difference between active transphobia and, and passive transphobia. And you can, you can swap out, transphobia with homophobia, racism, misogyny, any of those totally. things. And the difference to me is this. Active transphobia, just as an example, is like when people are purposely trying to be shitty about those things, they have an awareness that it is transphobic and they are trying to push those beliefs onto somebody else or they're behaving in a way that like they deliberately know causes harm. Mm-hmm. Passive transphobia is less clear. And so as an example, it's like, you know, it's like when you have family members who know that you're you're queer and they're like, you know, I, I, I eat a Chick-fil-A and you tell them like mm-hmm. Chick-fil-A is terrible for LGBTQ people. And they're like, but but I love the sauce. Right. There's like a disconnect, yeah. you know, I think in terms of like, well, what it means or, or you know, and, it, and I think 
what I still see as passive transphobia or passive homophobia. I think that there is active and passive misogyny, mm-hmm. but I will save that for another day. But you know what I mean? I think sort of we're, we're now trying to navigate, okay, well, we understand what active transphobia means. And we understand that like being exclusionary to trans folks is wrong. That's a very clear, like, it's not okay. Mm-hmm. But what about the stuff that comes after that? Right you know, the stuff that's like a little bit less clear. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we were both at an awards show, an amazing <laughs> awards show that happened uh, earlier this year. Um, <laughs> you were there. And it's funny because like, well, it's like I, at that time, I was like, hey, I think I think that's Crystal. I was literally a few rows behind you. A few, yes. I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> I also, in a very unintentionally creepy way, turned around and I was like, I think that's Steph, but I can't stare that long. But do I say hi? But what if this is the wrong Asian and this is the first time I fuck it up? <laughs> and then she has every right to lord it over me that I mistaken her for the wrong Asian. <laughs> so I was like, I'm just going to sit here with my back turned. <laughs> Because clearly that was the better option. There was so many times I was like, oh, I should just say hi. And then like, I can get really, I can become really, really shy in like certain (laughs) situations. I was there alone too. And I was like, oh my God, I like, I I should probably just go out there. But then I didn't. And then I just started texting you incessantly. And I was like, I'm pretty (laughs) with you. I wish you did, or I wish I was also braver because there was like a ton of room like around where I was sitting and it would have been lovely to sit with you because I, I mean, because it probably would have been better than the alternative of me turning around every once in a while to stare in your direction. (laughs) It's like, I'm just going to look this way. (laughs) I just want to put that story in there. But yes, we were at a certain awards show and um, I was chatting with you about like, I need to bring you on the show. Like, let's chat about some things that you had discussed with me about like, because it was my first time um, at any major like adult industry awards show event. And for me, it was just like, oh, this is really cool. Like Kalani's performing and it's just like fun. Like you get dolled up. And I was like, yeah, the red carpet and all that stuff, which I missed. But anyway, that's another story. And <laughs> it's this whole thing. It's just like, okay, like things are flying over my head. But I'm like, there was a lot of things that were going on behind the scenes as well that like I didn't know that were super exclusionary towards trans people. So um, I don't know if like we can just talk about stuff in general here too, but like some of the things that you might have shared with me was like, okay, like there is like a, like a separate area for them or like the trans, like the trans performance might not have had red carpet access, um, like the specific seating where, where they're placed in a different area on the mezzanine, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't know if you want to speak about this stuff. Yeah. You know, and I think the tricky thing is like, I mean, even as a huge show, and it's not the first time I've gone, and it's like, as someone, you know, I run the Transgender Erotic Awards, which is very, very small in comparison. And I will say, too, that, like, I mean, running an event is very difficult. And and in my in my history as doing the, the show, like, I fuck up sometimes. You know what I mean? I'll make a mistake, and then, you know, it may get perceived by somebody else as a slight to somebody. And I've been lucky to be able to address those things. So I, so I know that sometimes things may feel personal when they are not, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But I think, you know, we're talking sort of about active versus passive transphobia. It's, <clears throat> I think my concern is more that like, yes, certain things are clear about what is acceptable behavior or unacceptable behavior towards marginalized folks in our industry, particularly like trans folks. But like, mm-hmm. I still feel like there is a, I, I still feel like they are not 
held in the same way like they're not they're not taking up the same part of the brain that like mainstream cis performers take up mm-hmm. you know what i mean for folks for for event producers and i get it like the trans part of the industry is significantly smaller yeah you know what i mean than mainstream so to a certain extent that's just the reality of how the show is going to be structured but the things that were told to me was that there was there was really kind of a lack of consideration and like i said I, it's difficult to run a show. There's all of these things that we have to consider. But I know for me, when I run my event, I try to think about the communities that may get forgotten or, or maybe sort of lower in terms of like, you know, there's not as many folks from this community attending or, you know, or whatever. And I try to hold actually them higher in my brain to make sure that this part is also tended to. And so, right. you know, something that other trans performers told me was that they didn't have seats on the floor, you know? Crazy. A lot of them were in the mezzanine. I was lucky enough to have a seat on the floor, but I also did not get red carpet access for whatever reason. You know what I mean? Even though even though I had a date who was in the industry, yeah. you know, and so stuff like that. And I think what was told to me by a lot of those performers in the trans part of the industry is that they felt sort of like forgotten. Yeah. And some yeah. of it, like I said, some of it might feel like, or some of it might be attributed to, you know, they didn't have like the information about where to go for the event or that kind of like stuff that's just, it's logistical and it's not personal. But I think, I think what I hear and what I've experienced is sort of a, a lack of consideration or care yeah. or, or that, or they're just like in terms of priority, not quite held to the same, I think, effort as other communities or that it feels like they, I, I want to, I, I, I don't want to shit on anybody. So yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to be very mindful in how I say this, that like, you know, when I think about the adult shows, they've gotten better. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the, the trans erotica awards was created because there wasn't any representation. And now there is much more representation of trans, the trans part of the industry at the major award shows. And so there is progress. Yeah. But I think what I, what I feel is still happening is like, the top echelon of trans performers get star treatment, yeah. which is how it should be. But then there's not a lot of discernment about the performers that are right below that, who are maybe not at the upper top, you know, 0.2% of performers. Right. right? And so, and, and I feel like it's not quite with the same discernment as I see mainstream straight part of the industry being sort of discerned as a community in terms of, of, I mean, I think placement or, you know, support, in, in my opinion. Right, right. I mean, how much do you think this progress, and it is progress, um, how much do you think of this as, like, performative? I think there is quite a bit of performative um, support happening. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And performative inclusion. And, and the... And and it's not to it's not to say it's everybody. And there's certainly folks that I know in the various like organizations that fight really hard and like campaign very hard for there to be true inclusion. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Totally. So it's not to say that that there aren't folks kind of driving the vehicle forward. But I think I, I still see stuff being like a it's like a just good enough mentality. Mm-hmm. Like we're gonna do just just this much, and that's gonna show community that they are that they are included. But actually, like, doesn't show anything more than that. It doesn't show, actually, in my opinion, like real effort. Like, you know what I mean? I think we should do extra effort yeah. in that case, right? Because yeah. because this is a community that has been historically ostracized yeah. 
So like, shouldn't, 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 you know, shouldn't these shows and it's all of us be doing extra effort to make folks feel safe when they come. I know for me, when I do, when I run the event, like I make quite a bit of effort to make sure that the folks who attend feel safe. Yeah, absolutely. That That's really hard to digest. Um, but also, unfortunately, the, this is a reality and something that I definitely want to bring up because like, again, as an attendee, as I went, like, I was like, oh, like, this is really great. But like, these are things that you might not hear about. And I'm sure my listeners have zero clue as well as how much, um, how much more marginalization that the trans community is still facing, even currently to this day, right? So um, what I wanted to ask you too, because you do run the Trans Erotica Awards as well, which is coming up in March. Um, I'd love to see, like, and hear about that event as well. And like, um, how you were able to create these safe spaces and the inclusivity and really have like true representation at this event. So the, the show was started 15 years ago. This is our 15 year anniversary. And it was, um, it was an online competition that, the um, Stephen Groovy created. And it was like a tongue in cheek type thing. You know what I mean? At, at the time, I don't think that there were any trans categories or, or if at all, maybe there was like one. Yeah. And, you know, our industry is very diverse, you know what I mean? And so, you know, he created this kind of tongue in cheek online competition and it gained traction. And so we decided to do it as a live event, although we are not that is not what we do. <laughs> that is not what, we, that's not like what our training is in. And we used to have it at like shitty little nightclubs because we didn't have a budget. Mm-hmm. We didn't know what we were doing. And, you know, it got bigger and bigger each year. And we were able to expand the categories. We changed the name of the, we changed the name of the event because before it was using language that was not considered to be okay. I think when it, when it was created, the language that was used in the industry was a little bit different, still not okay, but was a little bit different. Right. So, you know, there, the show has gone under multiple kind of like iterations of itself over time to help, I think, accommodate the needs and desires of the community that we're serving. And it's, it's, it has since expanded right. and I hope we'll continue to expand and we've been trying to do so in a very thoughtful way like you know I I have great respect for how the other award shows are run because they're I mean they're huge you know what I mean like it it feels like a a behemoth that they that that they're each running and so you know I feel privileged that we've in some ways kept our show very small it allows me to get a better idea of how things are running because like if my name is going to be attached to something in some form, like I want to make sure that I feel good about that. And it also means that I have to take responsibility when something fucks up. Mm-hmm. And when things fuck up, like I have to, and I have had to. And so, you know, I think keeping the show at the size that it's at allows me to, I think, have agency in how it runs and how it looks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the one thing that I would, that I wanted to say that was, is maybe slightly tangential is like, you know, what happened at the show that I will not name it is that like it's traditionally held in Vegas and in the casino. And so, you know, part of, I think what's supposed to be exciting is that, you know, the press lines up and they block off part of the casino and then people enter, you know, and they take pictures and stuff. And, you know, something that I spoke about on TikTok is that it's a vastly different experience when you arrive versus when you leave, when you arrive, it's all glitzy. Right. And you're like, look at all these, you know, fans or whatnot taking photos, but when you're leaving and I had forgotten this happens because this has happened to me multiple years and this is not just specific to me is that like people were yelling slurs at me as I was leaving 
That's so sad. You know what I mean? And and not just me. Like I said, it's not the first year that people have yelled slurs at me. And like, mm-hmm. I think, you know, I would like to see more security here. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That should be in my, in, in my opinion, like always considered at the forefront of like folks, folks are leaving men in the casino are drunk or individuals in the casino are drunk. How do we protect folks? And like, totally. for me, when I run the transgender erotic, erotic awards, like I think about safety first, if we're having an event uh, with folks and they're leaving and they're intoxicated and there are people that are outside, how do, how do I protect community? Because it's marginalized community that that's held at the forefront. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That, that's actually like, yeah, I did see that on your TikTok too. Cause it was like, it was kind of like, the door is open and the floodgates open and there are like a lot of people outside and it's just like oh mm-hmm. this is the whole thing this is so different than how you arrived you know so right yeah and there used to be pro- there would be protesters and stuff too you know and they would have it at they used to be at the like the hard rock and stuff you know yeah. what I mean? there'd be protests like religious protesters outside like yelling stuff at people you know and and so it's 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 in my opinion, it feels a little deflating. I mean, there there are lazy insults. So it's like, if you're going to insult me, be creative about yeah. it. But it's like, you know, we spent, you know, an hour and a half, two hours hanging out with community and celebrating community and then having to leave and then getting slurs like thrown at us feels like, okay, well, that was a, a harsh slap of like back to reality. Totally. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, it's just like, okay, this is like the world we live in. Um, we had two hours yes. of like, you know, we're with our people. Like, this is really great. We can <laughs> see who we are. We can feel safe. This is like where people are. And then like, yeah, the minute you're out, you're like, oh yeah, I forgot. I forgot for a slight second that this is what we have to deal with. So, I mean, along that line, um, I know another topic that is really, really close to your heart is mental health and and positivity and wellness. Uh, would definitely love to chat about that and also about your Sad But Rad Club on TikTok as well. But like, tell us about this and like why this is so important, especially for sex workers. So being in the, the, the trans sex worker part of our industry um, and being, I think, where I'm positioned in community, I'm very visible. Mm-hmm. And so what used to happen and still happens, you know, very early on in my career is that people would come to me in crisis, you know, other performers. So first it would be other trans performers. They would come to me in crisis or they'd want to know where resources were like for mental health resources. And I would try to help locate resources for them. And then it, I think as my my visibility in the industry increase, it expanded. So it wouldn't be just trans performers. It would be cis performers. It would be people that weren't necessarily in the industry, but kind of like in the outskirts of the industry, you know, and it didn't feel super safe or sustainable for me to be able to giving these, even just giving these resources out. And so I decided to go because I, I didn't have I didn't have enough things to do. Apparently I was like, I'm going to go to grad school and work full time. That's a swell idea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know why I thought that was a good idea, but I was like, you know, I, I would like there to be, I would like to be able to give back in a way that feels like ethical and sustainable. So I thought if I go to grad school to become a therapist, I'm going to have a really clear idea of like, what are the resources that I can offer outside of community and help vet these resources for community in a way that I think, makes me feel good. Because like I said, anytime I put my name on something, it's my reputation, it's who I am. And so I want to make sure that like, I'm doing the research to make sure that when I pass those resources to somebody else that like, I feel confident about it, because God forbid, I don't do my research, and I give the resource to somebody else, and it's not safe, and somebody is harmed. 
Right. You know, so that was kind of, you know, it's always been mental health has always been a big thing for me, particularly in our industry. Like this is kind of sad to mention, but just it's it's just undeniably undeniably true. So we we take pictures at our award show every year. Mm -hmm. And because, you know, we we manage the event like I have the task of like going through all the photos and it, it, it makes it breaks my heart every time because I'll go through photos not even that long ago and then there'll be people there who aren't here anymore you know and it's whether they die by illness or they die by suicide it's just you know there there's so many photos of folks that are just not here and that's just I can't get around it it's the reality of it it's 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 woven in some ways into the fabric of the show and the history of the show that it's important to remember that like you know it this stuff affects our community in a very specific way and so I think that going back to school to become a therapist felt like I don't know like a way to 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 mobilize my grief in some ways or 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 even just sort of wanting to use my privilege in a very specific way because I'm not a sex worker you know I work in community I have privilege in community I have I'm marginalized in our community but I'm not a sex worker so what is my part you know what is my responsibility if I'm going to be in this community and this felt like this made the most sense. Yeah. Wow. I mean, again, you do so much and like, this is really giving yourself, you know, and, and, and lending a hand and providing the support to um, our community as sex workers, but also your, your own life as a queer person, as a person who, you know, like I want to talk about mental health and, and trans folk because they're super, super marginalized. They need, in my opinion, a lot of support, maybe perhaps the most support. Um, And we've probably heard a lot of different statistics too about, you know, uh, high rates of suicide, high rates of um, anxiety, depression, et cetera, amongst trans folks. Can can we speak about this for a second? Because I think it's really important for us to mention this on the show. Yeah, you know, especially when they look at statistics um, for trans sex workers or particularly like uh, people of color who are also trans and sex workers, the, the percentage mm-hmm. of folks who die either by violent death or suicide, it's, it's, it's higher. It's much higher than their, their straight cis counterparts. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think like until we can get access to these communities and not only access, but like competent access, affirming access to resources, it, it's going to always be this way. You know what I mean? It's not... The, the, I, I do this workshop where I teach other sex workers how to how to find a competent and affirming therapist because the truth is that we cannot assume that everyone is. And so how do we vet people? And something that I talk about is like a lot of us have been conditioned to think that medical, like people in the medical field are just experts. And so we're basically meant to just accept whatever they say unequivocally. We're mm-hmm. not meant to challenge the system. And the same goes for therapy. You work with a therapist and the assumption is kind of like, well, they're the expert. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so folks end up thinking like, is this what therapy is? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Not realizing actually they have quite a bit of power, mm-hmm. you know, and being able to find a, to find a therapist that fits them specifically versus like, am I supposed to just accept what this is, even though this person is transphobic, even though this person is very shamey about sex work, right? et cetera. Yeah. And that's like a whole topic as well. And I'm really trying to do in another episode on, on therapy and finding um, exactly this topic. 
um, as a sex worker, how to find um, a therapist that is, you know, going to be safe, going to be a right fit for you. I'm trying to get Leia from Pineapple Support onto the show. We're supposed to have an interview next month. So stay tuned for all that because that, that is like – an episode slash multiple episodes <laughs> to talk about as well. It's a big topic. It mm-hmm. is a huge topic. And I know a lot of people have been asking for more, more mental health episodes, which is why like, I'm really glad that you're like, Hey, I, I, this is something that's really important to me and me. Like I'd love if we had time in the episode to chat about this. So this is why we're definitely chatting about this right now. But, um, going along this topic as well, um, you do have something called a Sad But Rad Club on TikTok as well. Um, can you tell the audience what, what that is about? <laughs> so Sad But Rad Club is my, it's like a, it's like a love letter or a video project. And, and the hopes is to change the narrative of mental health and wellness. We have this view that like healing is linear or that healing has to look a certain way or like, it's like, you know, when you watch movies and then it always looks like, you know, the person's depressed and they're all disheveled and then all of a sudden they're healed and they're fine. Yeah. But it's like, what about that in-between stuff, right? We don't really have representation of what the process of healing looks like. Mm-hmm. And so it's to help destigmatize what that process looks like, essentially. And like, I use myself as sort of the, the tool to talk about sort of anxiety and depression in a, in a larger kind of format. And recently I've been talking about more spicy accountant stuff because I have to code everything in a very certain way. But so I, I started TikTok, TikTok like most people like during the pandemic and I'm, I'm old. I'm just going to say that I'm old. I don't fucking, I don't, I still don't really understand TikTok. But when I, when I started, it was like people dancing and I'm like, clearly I'm not going to do that shit. <laughs> right. I'm not doing that shit. And I, I had, I used my, I used crystal pen as like the, the user account name. Cause I, I thought I was going to make content for work. Mm-hmm. I had an idea of doing like behind the scenes stuff. And you know, I didn't know what I was doing. Nobody watched my things. <laughs> And then one day I did this video where I basically did like a funny video about like what therapy looks like for me specifically. And it got, I think like a hundred thousand views. And I thought, Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And then I noticed that anytime I did a mental health related video and generally if it was funny or sort of tongue in cheek that I would get much higher traffic. No one cared about the other stuff I was doing. And so then I decided to change the name of the account to sad, but rad club. And the idea is that we can be, you know, sad, anxious, manic, any, any and all of the above. And it doesn't take away from who we are as individuals. Mm -hmm. You know, it's meant to to be celebrated kind of like all together. And so, you know, I talk about things like grief. I talk about things like depression. I've, I've shared my, my journey through school. And I think most, most recently I've been sharing my journey about being in the industry, which is funny because I, like you said, I have to use very coded language and my, I don't know how much you've seen the people that are on my, my TikTok. They, they are not who I think you expect my followers to be. <laughs> <laughs> They're all very lovely, but also like, it's not like when I made my account, I thought that I was going to reach other spicy accountants. I thought that I was going to reach like, like, like queer people, essentially. That was not the case. I, 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 that is not my main demographic. (laughs) It's turned out that way. Good old TikTok algorithm. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been interesting because like, I, at a certain point, you know, there was somebody asked me pronouns and I used it as a, as a, as an opportunity to, to talk about my pronouns and sort of talk about why they're important. And I had all of these comments from, you know, my, my demographic basically is like cis women in their sixties <laughs> or higher. 
Yeah, maybe fifties, fifties to to seventy, <laughs> and like many of them are straight. <laughs> like for real, that's crazy. That's crazy. It's and like sometimes I'll get somebody, and they're either my age or they're in the industry or they're like they're like a queer grandma from this. You know what I mean? Like wow. like sometimes some of them we have like shared kind of like identity stuff. But by and large, my demographic, if I were to look at like my TikTok settings and stuff or my my analytics, it's like cis straight women in their fifties to seventies in the Midwest and the South. <laughs> That is not that is not what I expected at all. No, and so you know, in the beginning, I was I was afraid actually because I was like, well, they can clearly see I'm a big gamo, so like they seem to be okay with that, right? <laughs> like that seems to be okay. But I was like, you know, how much of what I disclose about myself is gonna be okay with my my demographic? Right. And at a certain point, I was like, well, who am I? Who am I making this content for? Mm-hmm. This was my pandemic project right yeah. I'm not making this for, for profit unless I'm missing something <laughs> right I'm, I'm doing this because I this is a creative project that I enjoy and so I thought I'm gonna just be authentic to myself mm-hmm. and if people don't like it I mean they don't have to watch me like there's tons of content to consume and so um what has happened is that when I do these little lessons so to speak you know folks are really really receptive and they want to learn more and and, and the truth is like Sometimes they just don't know how to ask the question because they don't want to offend, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's talking about sex work. It, I have never shied away from it, but like it suppresses my, it, it suppresses my, my, my stats when I do, mm-hmm. you know, like my, my account grew very quickly. And at a certain point it's just sort of, it, it has been at, I think it's like at 75.9 for like months yeah you know and and it and I and I've started to talk about sex work more openly on the account and I've noticed kind of it sort of hanging out there and people will say I haven't seen you in so long so I know that my stuff is not reaching folks in the same way that it used to right um but you know people have people have been following my journey and depending on where they've started to watch me you know they they know I'm a therapist Mm -hmm. or they know I'm a therapist trainee you know, or, and they know that I'm sad because no matter where in their journey they find me, they know I'm sad all the time, <laughs> you know, but they don't always know like what, like that I'm in the industry. And because I use coded language, I, I know someone thought I was actually an accountant. <laughs> and I, I was like, I'm really sorry. I was like, I wish that I could be, I'm terrible at math. I'm definitely not an accountant, you know? And I think folks, someone thought I was, someone thought I was a spicy accountant and I was like, I wish I could be that too, but I'm not that, you know what I mean? So right. it's like, because I've had to use coded language and also my demographic isn't necessarily using that same kind of languaging. Right. Um, <laughs> there's been a lot to sort of, you know. That's interesting. I think kind of dispel. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's been kind of cool. Like we have, um, there's one of the things I haven't done it recently, but one of the big spiels of Sabah Rad Club is I do these videos where I say, you know, stranger on the internet, it's me, you know, yeah. other stranger on the internet. Mm-hmm. And I, I ask if people have drank water saying that it's like this one thing we can do for our mental health. And so something that's cute that I've never, I've never said this on TikTok, but like, because my demographic, they don't, they don't use emojis the same way that like our industry uses emojis. <laughs> They'll be like, thank you so much. And then they put the emojis that they think are like water, oh, no. you know, like the rain. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, all of these people are telling me these things that mean something very different. Yeah. They're like, thank you, Crystal. And it's like, like cum emojis and I'm like all right I'm just gonna it's okay thank you 
I mean, it's cool. I, I really think that your audience, especially now that I know the demographic that you're reaching, I feel like from, from what I've seen at least too, I feel like there is a huge educational aspect and opportunity here, <laughs> which I think is so valuable for, for anybody who watches your Sad by Rad TikTok account. So I think that's great. Like um, on the flip side, like have you learned anything at all from this whole experience, this whole project, or even from those who follow you? Um, I've learned that technology is confusing (laughs) first. (laughs) Second, you know, I think I've been, I've been very lucky to meet other content creators, um, that are doing some wonderful work. Um, and not even just in our part of the industry, but sort of outside of it. And and I think, you know, it's been a, a cool way to find allies where I think we would not necessarily have allies, you know? And so, and, and, and that's kind of, that's always been my belief. You know, I mean, there are folks that are able to be advocates in the outside world and they can be loud and they can advocate in a certain way. And that helps to elicit change. But for me and like my position in the world, like I want to subvert change from the inside. Mm -hmm. Right. Who, who can, who can we access from the inside? Who can we make friends with on the inside? And I think TikTok has been a very powerful vehicle for me to um, educate others who I think otherwise would not, not want to have education on these things or think that that to have education about sex work is important. And so um, I think it's been a very interesting experiment in sort of building community in places that you would traditionally not find a community or expect it. So, yeah. And, and, and I will tell you, so that video that I I posted about leaving said award show and getting heckled, Mm -hmm. they were all, I don't know if you saw, but there were all of these comments from like grandmas and they're like, I'm 60 years old and I don't give a shit and I will walk with you. I will walk with you at the award show and I'm not going to let people do that to your friends. There are all these people. And I was like, fuck yeah. (laughs) Right. I'm like, wouldn't that be wonderful if we were like leaving the, like leaving award shows and we have like an entourage of grandmas, like protecting our performers. That sounds wonderful. That sounds awesome. That would be right? amazing. I would be here for that. Please. <laughs> Me <next> too. <laughs> I'm going to make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> that is super cool. And, and yeah, for those who, um, who are already kind of like clicking on the show notes, the links and stuff, you'll find out where you can go ahead and, and follow Sabbath Rad and all the things. But we'll, we'll also mention it at the very end of the show as well. But I think it's probably time for some audience questions. There was a lot of them that came in. So I'm, I'm really excited because there's actually a lot of questions um, that were definitely directly related to what we we're talking about today. So I didn't want to ask those questions until now. I wanted to give all the people who submitted their time. So uh, yeah, let's just probably dive into those questions now. Um, let's, let's get, let's get going here. So question one, um, how has the work you do breaking down barriers surrounding mental health impacted the work you do in the adult industry? I think when I started, and this, this is, this is mental health work in the industry, not of the industry. But when I, when I first started, there was a lot of stigma and shame. Like people were experiencing mental health challenges, but they did not feel empowered to talk about it. There was still a big shame component. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think being open about these things, using my platform to do so, providing resources and then providing education to folks outside of the industry. So doing like educational workshops for other for, for vanilla folks, for, for the civilians, for other therapists, you know, help to help destigmatize the adult industry. Um, 
in my opinion, has started to see a shift in how the industry is viewed and the ways that I think performers feel like they can talk about their mental health, I think, with 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 more agency and freedom. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, I think early on, it felt like folks couldn't talk about it. It was bad business practice or, you know, there there was fear that they were going to be labeled in a certain way. But I, I definitely see more nuanced and empowered conversations from performers, you know, now about their mental health. And I think I see much more um, outpouring of support across the board, either either from fans or even just from businesses in the industry, which I think it absolutely should be this way. I think folks should feel like they can talk about their stuff. So that's been a, a great improvement, in my opinion. Oh, definitely. And, and even on this show as well, if I can kind of just chime in and share my two cents. But yeah, like um, I do bring a lot of different performers on the show as well. And they're definitely wanting to talk about more of these topics in terms of mental health and, and breaking down that stigma because like they're, I don't know why for the longest time, I mean, that's just how we were taught and sized to never talk about this stuff. This stuff is deemed as quote unquote private information. No one needs to know how you feel. Just put on a happy face, keep working, put your head down and just freaking roll with it. And as we all know, like we know that's like very unhealthy to do. So I am really glad that a lot of people in our industry are now feeling empowered and safe to do, um, to speak about how they're feeling, to speak about their mental capacity and their own wellness. So, which I think is taking important steps into kind of bettering yourself. I think so too. And I think, you know, I, I, I think particularly for our industry, because it is an industry where folks are, where they are, they are the brand, they are using their bodies as their brands, like, you know, that I, I'm glad that they are feeling empowered to also talk about themselves in a way that feels more authentic. And I think three-dimensional mm-hmm. and maybe you don't disclose everything, but I think it has shifted, right. Kind of like where the meter for that kind of disclosure was. I think it's, it's gotten to be a lot better now than it was, I'd say 20 years ago. Absolutely. I, I, I've definitely seen that for sure. So great. Um, we do have another question here. What is the biggest difference that they've noticed in the industry since they first started? I have seen more um, community building across across um, industry, you know. So when I first started, like I mentioned, like everything was very segregated, you know, like there's like the gay side, there's the trans side, there's the straight side. And to a certain extent, there is still separation. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to pretend like it's a one big happy family all the time. There's still separation. But I think... I see less of that now. I see more commingling. I see support across the board and across different industries and communities. And I think that it, it only elevates, I think, the industry as a whole when, when it's kind of together in that way. And that's been something that um, has been slow, but I think also very, very important. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Great. Great observation for sure. And I'm glad that we're heading in that direction. Me too. <laughs> took a long time coming, but you know, at least some yes. progress. <laughs> um, what was the most unexpected but heartwarming thing you found when you first got into the spicy accountant community? Ooh. So <laughs> this is going to sound really dorky. This is going to sound dorky. Okay. No. So <laughs> yeah, this is dorky. So prior, so before we used to be in Hawaii and like I said, we worked in like a business office and I didn't see anybody. We would like the content would come to us. So I would see what people look like, but I didn't really, I wasn't able to really put a face to anybody. 
And what vastly changed when I started doing like in-person events when we moved to LA was being like, you know what I mean? It's like people that I see in pictures, right? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And they're, they're so welcoming. And I think, you know, I had, I had been prior to being in the industry, very stressed out about how my queerness was going to be, I think, interpreted or sort of taken in by folks. Because, I mean, I, I grew up in Hawaii, which is basically like an island version of the Midwest. And I was bullied. I was like bullied all the way throughout high school, you know, for being for being queer and for being the little weirdo that I that I'm in. And so I think I had fear that once I entered the industry, because I'm not a performer, because I still look how I look. Like I said, for your audio listeners, I'm very good looking <laughs> and tall. <laughs> your Patreon users will know otherwise. But you, you know what I mean? I had this fear. I'm like, socially speaking, I'm a little goofball. <laughs> You know what I mean? And I'm going to be, you know, I'm, I'm going to be entering in and socializing with folks that are like, I mean, they're all hot. They're all hot. They're all beautiful. They're all, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. where where am I going to factor in? And I think what's been, you know, very unexpectedly wonderful and wholesome is that, like, folks are so lovely. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, something that I've been doing for TikTok is I've been doing these little, like, vlogs about being in the industry and saying how, like, people don't necessarily expect it but like it's very wholesome to a certain extent you know we, we cultivate these friendships where mm-hmm. you know just because we're in the industry doesn't mean that they're not authentic or they're not wholesome or they're not real like I, I hung out with Foxy who's in our industry and she's like a legend in our industry and like I videotaped I haven't put it up yet but I videotaped us singing along to Whitney Houston in the car you know what I mean like just these yeah. lovely kind of goofy <laughs> So I think to be able to have those connections with folks in the industry and having people be so welcoming of the fact that I'm, like I said, a little weirdo queermo, um, <laughs> it, it's something that I really appreciate. And I think I think I always try to hold it's something that like I didn't, you know, it, w- it would be everyone's right to exclude me from the industry because I'm not I'm not a sex worker, you know, mm-hmm. by by definition, I would be an ally. But I think like people have been very welcoming and people have been very protective over me and people have been, you know, um, have been very supportive of, of my place in the industry. And so I, I have found, in my opinion, like unexpected community. And I feel very grateful. Yeah. Not a dorky answer at all. Very, very wholesome <laughs> answer. I loved that. Like, it, and I've spoken about this before, but the community for sure is like the for me, the best part about being in this industry is the camaraderie, um, the bond that we share. And maybe it's because uh-huh. we are we we all have been so stigmatized, so marginalized that like that is almost like the thing that we all have in common. Like we're all outcasts. So I feel like we already all have something in common. So we all have to like stick together. So Yeah. <laughs> and I think too, like, because you know, I mean, as if part of your brand is like having to be overly sexual or having to present your body in a certain way and all this kind of stuff. It's like, you know, I think to have places where like you and your friend talk about Squishmallows or Whitney Houston or just really kind of mundane things or things that bring, I think, like your inner teen or your inner child joy, I think has also been really cool to see like folks connect in places that are like outside of work, but are just sort of like, I mean, feel like good, like really feel good inner child stuff in my opinion. Yeah. And very like unexpected at times as well. <laughs> oh yeah. Like I love receiving like text messages and it's like, you know, look at this squishmallow that I found or look at this, you know, other thing or just I mean, things that are just 
not work related at all or that, that are just sort of very wholesome. Very. <laughs> um, going on, this person again from TikTok asks, where is a good place to order trans erotica? First of all, good on my TikTok friend for asking that question. Good on the TikTok folks for doing that, because I know that that demographic is different than our industry. Mm-hmm. Um, for trans erotica, I got two answers. I have to say my company first, because we, we are one of the largest uh, creators of trans erotica. So you can go to groovy.com and jump off to any of our um, or any of our properties. Mm-hmm. Um, my other biggest thing is I would encourage folks maybe even more than buying from us. I just had to mention us at first. I would support individual content creators directly. They have OnlyFans. They have, you know, Pornhub accounts, many vids accounts. You can, you can go and purchase DVDs. You can tip them. Yes. You know, I would go directly to each content creator and, and do it that way um, because that's how they'll see the money. If you, if you, you know, buy from the studio, I mean, we, we create stuff ethically. We pay out our folks, but, you know, performers won't get money after that once we've paid them up the first time so if it's choosing between one or the other i will say just 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 pay content creators directly i will figure out my own way do not worry (laughs) content creators first i love that answer it's so true um a couple questions here if you could change one thing about the industry to improve mental health in the spicy field what would it be i think that Ooh, I think that companies need to, (laughs) okay, wait, I have to think about how I was going to frame this. Two things. I think companies have the ability to um, support performers and their mental health in more sustainable ways, whether it is, you know, um, supporting organizations that help performers get resources or whatever. I, I, I think there are ways that companies can financially buy in to support performers that they are profiting from Mm -hmm. one two and this is just my opinion nobody else is i'm just representing myself (laughs) you know it yes this is a business and so to a certain extent you know things are run like a business but i think that companies need to understand that this is a business where we are profiting off the bodies of other people and so I think to hold that in higher in higher regard in how, you know, um, physical challenges, mental health challenges, all those t- sorts of things um, impact a performer's ability to perform, mm-hmm. um, I think need to be held much high in higher regard um, from companies in terms of what they are expecting, how much grace they provide for performers, um, how they speak about performers and to performers Mm -hmm. i think that it is a systemic problem that needs to be addressed and fixed yesterday yeah and i'm just speaking for myself (laughs) (laughs) but there's so much truth in that though um even in the strip community like in the strip Mm -hmm. industry it's similar kind of misogynistic toxic Yes. Uh, kind of management that like we are just bodies. Um, yes. It's really frustrating. Um, and I've definitely shared my fair share of my opinions of like how I think things are operated here in the Western Canada. Um, but it's, right. yeah, similar and, and just really like they, they can definitely do better and take care of it. Yes. Yeah, 
they can definitely do better. And like I said, I, I said earlier, earlier on in the industry, like my boss will tell you my, you know, my, my philosophy really isn't to make money first. Like that's not the first thing in my head. Mm-hmm. I do believe that we, if we support those, we are making money off of, you know what I mean? If we support them in a way that's sustainable, then everybody wins. Yeah. We're going to make more money across the board and not that, not just us as a company, but like also performers. I feel like it's a, it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship in that way. And I think there's so much systemic misogyny, racism, homophobia, transphobia that still exists that like people are afraid to call out or, or, or it gets called out by performers and then it gets sort of squashed or silenced because that's not how the industry runs. But mm-hmm. like, I, I will I will just use my platform to say these things because people don't people kind of pay no mind to me like you know what I mean I don't look like every I don't look like the other people in the business sector of the industry mm-hmm. so I'm just gonna say what I feel <laughs> and we can do better myself included you know what I mean that's not to say that like that like I I don't have to be accountable I have to be accountable too and that's the only way that we are gonna move things forward is that everybody be accountable more than what we're doing now because we're not doing enough now. Exactly. Amen <laughs> to that. <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> now, I guess we're going to be ending on a couple fun questions here and you can <laughs> take these questions however you choose. These ones came from Instagram, but um, what is your favorite outfit to wear in a performance and why? <laughs> and we're like, is that <laughs> for you or me? <laughs> I was like, I it was for you because you have sassy outfits but I mean I will answer to the best of my ability because <laughs> I don't think people really care what I wear I mean honestly <laughs> I don't know you know I think this is also tangential but I hope at some point someone teaches me how to like how do people make like sexy faces on the red carpet you, like everyone is so good at it and they pose and I got my pictures back from um expos here in LA and I went with Foxy and she looks great she's all like sexy and whatever and I look so fucking dopey so dopey even though even though my outfit by the way was on point it was like a nice like suit with a velvet jacket but my fucking face <laughs> I just want to say that. So I have clothes that make me feel good, but it doesn't change what my face looks like, unfortunately. <laughs> Better start practicing in the mirror, Crystal. <laughs> I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to practice in the mirror. And then I feel like I'm going to go on TikTok and ask, what's that guy's name? David Suh. You know, that photographer yeah, guy? Yeah. He teaches like people poses. I'm going to, I'm going to post my picture up from XBiz and be like, David Suh, I'm going to use your whole name. How do you fix my face? Fix me, please. Please. Fix me. <laughs> By the T's. I have till March to learn how to like, Look normal on the red carpet. Please help. <laughs> you got a month and a half to go. So. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm, I'm going to start campaigning today after this and start posting videos. <laughs> I'm pulling you to that. <laughs> oh, no, I will. I definitely will because I, I you know, when they, when they take the pictures and then they edit it down and they only have some of them on the site, I know that mine are never going to be on there because I'm making really fucking weird faces. <laughs> Like, I'll contact the photographers later, and I'll be like, can you send me, you know, what you took? Because I know it's not going to be with the other stuff. And by and large, it always, I'm always making a weird face. And I'm like, I get it. That's that's why I'm not on the main. That's why I'm not on the main site. It's cool. My outfit's great, but my face is, what the fuck? <laughs> so I have one month to figure it out. Countdown starts now. <laughs> yes. I mean, along a similar vein, and this person has a couple more questions too, but what, uh, what's a favorite fit of yours and does it empower them and do they feel like a boss bitch? 
I don't know if this is for me. I mean, I, I would like to always, I, I don't feel like a boss bitch right now because I'm wearing pajama pants because it's cold. <laughs> it's cold. <laughs> but it is really cold. But I will say this, like, <clears throat> this is also specific to the adult industry. Prior to being in the adult industry, I had insecurity about how I dressed. Like I said, for some reason, I thought people didn't figure out I was gay. So I was like, am I going to look too gay when I wear X, Y, and Z? But now I, I feel the most congruent to who I am inside and outside. And so I wear exactly what I want to wear. So it's like, I'll wear like the skinny ties or I'll wear the blazers or I'll wear like, like loafers, like Doc Martin loafers that I think are cool that like, I was too afraid to wear, you know, cause it was masculine, like in high school, because I was going to get bullied or I was too afraid to wear living in Hawaii because I dress differently than everybody else. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. That's boss bitch like, I guess. That is boss bitch. I think it's so subjective. <laughs> Just be comfortable. Wear whatever you want to wear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely that. Um, Crystal, before I let you go, where can folks find you? Oh yes, because I do 50 million things. Um, I'm on Twitter at the Crystal Pen, same for Instagram. You can also reach me on TikTok at sad but rad club XO. Sabra Club XO also on Instagram and probably Twitter, although I feel like I never use it. But you'll find me. One skip and a one you go to one account and then it'll jump to all the rest. And you can go to sabbatradclub.com. It links out. I have a Patreon as well, um, where we talk about feelings. Talk about feelings. We need more talks about feelings, I feel. The world needs a lot of it. Right. <laughs> so great. This is such a fabulous conversation and just very highly informative as well. And I just want to thank you for shedding light on some of the things that like um, myself or my audience might not have the exposure to. So again, thank you so much for this conversation today. And I'm sure we could have kids kept going and going down all the rabbit holes and then you would have been here for three hours, but <laughs> I'm done. I'm ready. My schedule's clear. <laughs> but I want to thank you. And, and for everyone else listening, uh, go follow all the things and all the platforms and all the links they're all in the show notes below click down below and then for everyone else listening at home it's stripped by sia on all major podcast platforms so if you're listening on spotify don't forget to check that follow button you want to rate it that's really cool i love honest ratings please do that as well as um apple you could also rate five stars and or write a nice review i read them all and they are nice to read um please do so so we can increase the visibility and accessibility of the show and it's stripped by sia.com if you're interested in becoming a guest on the show or just dm me on twitter and pitch yourself to me um because i usually invite people on but if you are really wanting to come on I'd, I'd really love to hear about what you have to offer so come and pitch me stripedbycia.com it's uh, stripedbycia on, all, on uh, all socials I think so Twitter and Instagram and patreon.com slash stripedbycia it is new episodes every single Sunday dropping off at midnight Pacific Standard Time and we'll catch everyone in for another episode next week thank you so much Crystal so nice having you yay thank you for having me thank you listening to Stripped by Sia, hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia, music by Ted D, graphic design by Maria Bellandarama, and photography by Ian Dabrin.